Welcome to Relaunch, the real estate podcast focused on helping you find your success in real estate. My name is Lauren Cooper. I am an active real estate sales representative just north of Toronto, Canada. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring you actionable content by interviewing the best of the best in this business, helping to take you from zero to hero in your real estate career. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Relaunch. The Relaunch podcast is focused on helping people in the real estate industry in their first few years of the business, or maybe you've been plugging along and having a tough time and you want to take a new direction. You want to pick it up notch. So we talk to the best of the best in the industry. Now I am definitely talking to one of the best of the best, Mr. Chuck Charlton. Welcome to the show. Who am I to argue, right? Like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why would I argue with that? How you doing, Lauren? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, my friend? Good, thank you. All right, so very Chuck, nice way to start the show. Keep I know, going. I know. Oh, not... Okay, I'll pile it on if you like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Music connoisseur, uh, comic book fan. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. keep on going. Um, In all seriousness, though, I think that a lot of times real estate agents don't know how to accept a compliment. They just go, "Oh, it's no problem. It was nothing." And I think it's a good skill to work on to say, "You're welcome." You know, it was my pleasure to really acknowledge that because it's a gift, right? So. When someone gives you a compliment to properly say thank you. So thank you, Lauren. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you yeah. for being on the show and taking the time. You are known along with your wife, Melissa, who was first on the podcast. She wanted me to rub that in. Um, <laughs> she, You, you and right. Melissa are, are well known for being pretty much an open book and, and sharing um, with a lot of the industry, whereas some people are a little bit closed book, old school mentality. Um, <laughs> so how did you kind of like get that vibe or, or, or get in that space where you're like, you know what, I can share what I, what I am and what I have and not be worried. I don't know who explained this concept to me or where I picked it up, but I think about farmers, right? So if you had, if you were tending your field and the guy right beside you had a field full of weeds, you're constantly battling those weeds coming over to your field. So I think about it like, if my field is better and I share with you how to make a better field, then like now we're both better off. And and what tends to happen, and I've noticed this, is I'll share something with you and then you'll take it and then you'll do something different or you'll expand on it or um, like it often doesn't land in your lap the same way as it is in mine. Something changes. And so that's that whole evolution and, and mutation and change. And you come back to me, you go, Chuck, Hey, you know what? Guess what? I did this. I took what you had and I made it better. That, those are the good relations. Some people will just take and take and take. And you just find that over time that doesn't, that's not a win-win scenario. So you find you distance yourself over time. But I've noticed more often than not the, the, that the relationships that I tend to gravitate towards, they, they come back to me and say, okay, now it's your turn, right? Like now, so they stood on my shoulders and then now I'm going to go stand on theirs and it just keeps going up and up. Yeah, give and take for sure, definitely. So we we skipped a usual step, which I I usually say, give everybody an idea out there who doesn't know who you are, who you are, where your business is at and where you work. Uh, So we're based out of Milton, Ontario. I mean, you could just watch Melissa's <laughs> podcast and get all this stuff. But we uh, we moved here. So I grew up in Toronto. Melissa was in York Region, probably not far from where you operate. Very close, actually. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and so uh, I'm a Toronto guy, and you know we went away to school and then tried to figure out you know where are we gonna live. We had a home in Toronto for a couple of years, and Milton was this place 
that it was like I went there once or twice and it was like the Truman Show. It was this sort of neighborhood of, you know, new homes and everything was just, you know, the lawns were all cut. And I thought, wow, it was a nice place. You know, it'd be a good place. The big difference for us was like it was starting a family. And I know for our clients, it's the same thing, right? Like, do you want to have a family in a big city? Do you want a more suburban life? And I mean, for me, being on the west side of Toronto, I mean, it's changed now, but it still felt suburban. Etobicoke was suburban to me. Uh, so we decided this is a place we're going to go. I knew one guy that I, that was a roommate in university, and he already had an agent. So we didn't, <laughs> you know, we didn't know anybody. And so we came here. I've told the story multiple times, but like we were aspiring to zero. Like we had negative dollars at that point. A um, little bit of equity from the home, but we use that plus more to try and get those seeds uh, sown here. And and what's happened since then is is going from essentially zero and being an assistant to a fantastic agent uh, in Toronto. Uh, we moved here, started uh, just Melissa and I. She was buyers, I was sellers, and um, you know set a real lofty goal. It was 200k GCI, and we did it in our first year. And since then, the team has now grown and things have, you know, gone on to to even better. And so it's, you know, you know, million dollar plus business for the last seven, eight years now. That's fantastic. So yeah. you, I, I sensing a common theme here when I talk to a lot of different people, there are a lot of couples that enter the real estate world together and uh, very often a very divided line between roles. Right. And I'm sure that's the case in your business as it is now. But back then, you mentioned you basically took care of the listings and she was taking care of the buyers. Is that the case? Correct. Yeah, I think you have to. I think if you're just stepping on each other's toes, it's just not a good way of running a business. It's like here, let's look at what you're naturally good at. What am I naturally good at? Where can those skills be applied in the business? And then sometimes it's like now we've got to find outside help because neither one of us is the best in the world at stuffing envelopes, or it's just not, it doesn't make financial sense. Right, right, definitely. So I want to ask you a little bit about your background before you got into real estate. What were you up to? I was, uh, I have a kinesiology degree, and I know a lot of people say to real estate, but I don't think anybody ever, um, I don't think people like when they're growing up aspire to be a real estate agent. I think I, most It wasn't of us, even in my world. I had no idea it was a thing. We fall backwards into it somehow. Just, I, I mean, some people say things like, you know, I, I, um, you know, my agent wasn't that good. I thought I could do a better job or something like that, right? And people are enticed. Obviously, they see these, you know, million-dollar listing shows and these big commission checks and all this stuff. And I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, right. that's that's why I think people come in is either the the uh, desire for for freedom or for the financial side of things very quickly they realize that i mean it's it's a it's a business that the thing about real estate is it's like it's a low startup cost like if you were opening a pizza store like you you gotta buy the ovens and all the stuff and i mean for us what do we need like we could operate with a desk or a, or a car right and and a phone and a computer like that's basically the equipment we need and the courses i mean you know i'm not going to get into the you know, it's, <laughs> we'll leave that part know, out. <laughs> well, I just think that like, if we look at how much responsibility we have compared to like lawyers and everything else, like, I just feel like, you know, compared to what lawyers need to get a law degree, it's, it's not the same thing. Right. No, so there's definitely. very few industries that, that give this level of responsibility with 
the amount of education we have. Right. Right. And so it's just, it's in that sense, we know there's some broken parts to how the business kind of churns through. It, it eats its young, I think, a lot of times, right? Which can be a good and bad thing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess that's one of the topics we'll go over too, is just how, like, what do you do in the first couple of years, knowing that there's a lot of things against you, right? <laughs> I mean, the positive is, you know, you don't need a lot of seed money to get started, right? You can right. kind of just say, if I have ambition and all this kind of thing, although sometimes that's not even enough. And I know there's a lot of people that get into real estate because their, their friends all go, oh, well, you're fun to hang around with, right? So you'd be a great person to help people sell homes. And it's like you still need to have some kind of a business sense, right? That this is still a business. It has, you know, you can you can operate it with joy and, and fun and excitement, but it still has things like profit loss and lead generation, all those different building blocks. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So you mentioned, and Melissa had mentioned a little bit uh, when we had our discussion, that you started working in real estate first and in the city. Correct. Yeah. So I was, I, I had a couple of months on my own and I had the kind of job where I could go from 40 hours to like 30 and 20. So I, I could kind of like choose at what capacity. A lot of people, it's, it's something or nothing. It's either full-time or they're not employed. And I could scale down a bit, but I was, I, I did my first transaction, I think it's seven or eight months in, like I was a slow starter. I was worried about what slogan I was going to have and all, those <laughs> all the important stuff. And I was doing, I was doing like two open houses a day, right? Which, which I think is part of the reason I have such a distaste for them in my later real estate careers. I think I just burnt out on, on open houses, you know, figured it all out on my own, didn't know what to say uh and then i ended up finding a mentor in the office and he happened to go away uh for a, a vacation and so i helped him with the deal and then i started to help him with open houses and it became a, a team and and so it was my chance to get some kind of a stable income he was one of those agents probably sold you know 40 homes a year very low overhead like it was mostly by referral and it was just my chance to build his systems and his business for him. And then once we moved to Milton, it was like that partnership couldn't continue, even though we really enjoyed being together. But I had all the infrastructure stuff. And I think that continues to this day. I think we're known as a business that has really strong structure and systems. Definitely. But I attribute that a lot to building it for him. And I was the benefactor of, of being able to use that afterwards. So what kind of systems do you think played a key role in his business at that time and your growth? Well, I think it was, it, it was, he was one of those people that he would send a CD in, in, a, <laughs> in a little card with a pocket and like once a year, that was his thing. It was like, here's a calendar to put on your fridge and here's a Christmas music CD. This is how long ago <laughs> it was. It's like 2003, 2004, and uh, and that was it. So we said, okay, you know what? There's that whole 33 touch and everything else. We were part of buy referral only with Joe Stum, and s still continue that membership. You know, 14, 15 years later, but it was that that was the monthly newsletter that went out. It was the evidence of success postcard. So it was it was locking in the past client stuff first because he already had that. And then it was looking at, okay, how can we put some ads out there? So we put an ad in the Homes magazine, and it didn't just have pictures of homes. It said that, you know, Scott and Sarah uh, bought their first home using this method. And there was a whole write-up of how they went to open houses, then they, 
you know, drove around and, and went looking in magazines. And then we said, we've got this new system, which was the, the, the listing updates. And they would call a free recorded message and they would leave a message saying, hi, it's Bob Smith here. Here's my phone number. I'd like to get on that Home Finder program. And that, that was how we lead gen. So it was like it was building. We call it like one of the big things that, that we've structured our business uh, around is is the buyer for only the before, during and after. Right. Right. So your after is your relationships, your uh, strategic business partners, those kind of things. Your before unit is the people you haven't met. It's your lead gen. And the during unit is your service delivery. Right. It's your buyers and your sellers. So we just kind of systematically said, okay, so in the after unit, communicate more, do some other things with them, structure it. Because he was just someone who just decided that he would call. It was just his nature. Very random. relationship, Right. And so it was like putting those pieces in before unit, a couple of new things we put in there. And then the during unit, the service delivery, I think the way that you think about that is to say, okay, when people are experiencing things in the transaction, so if they were... Like right after the offer's accepted, they start going, what's next? Okay, well, why don't we put a checklist together, right? At, like, you know, after the waiver comes in, the, the house is sold, what happens after that, right? Explaining what the listing market is. So we used to have like an orchestration letter, right? Where it would have, it would actually have like, it was like letterhead that had like little music notes and it said, <laughs> this is how we're orchestrating your process, right? We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And just fun things, too, because I think there's an information side. There's a relational side, too. So there's things like as you're packing, remember that it's the little things that matter. And we would just, you know, we put in fragile stickers or something. So it's like we had these little anticipated moments within the transaction that we built. And they were designed for people to say, wow, that's really cool. They're referable moments in the process. And do you find that really did pay back in referrals and, and repeat business? Yeah, it did for sure. Like the business grew and then um, it grew again. And I mean, not not doubling, but it, we definitely saw the effect of some of these changes. Fantastic. And some of them take a little time to roll out too. They don't just happen right away. That's you know? it. It's a business that definitely takes some time to get off the ground, I find. I mean, unless you've got people ready and waiting for you when you get your license to, to transact with you, it takes a little bit of time to, uh, to get it moving in, in the right direction. Yeah, the other thing is when you run a referral-based business, it's it's one of those things where there's a little bit of volatility there because it's like everyone could be happy with you, but no one's moving. So what I find is when you add the new business side, it creates some stability. It's not so like this. It just smooths the edges a little bit. Definitely, because right. you don't so know you when have... those referrals are coming in. That's what I mean. Like I've had months where it's like, holy cow, I had 10 referrals in a month. And then it's like nothing for two months. So it's just, it just happened to have that kind of big up and down. It's a little more like the stock market. Whereas like if you build a, a before unit, a lead generating machine, it tends to just stabilize that, you know, that you can count on a certain amount of business every month coming from that. Right. Those units and processes in, in a lead generation, um, it definitely is a bit more stable in the sense that you can really get very down and dirty in the statistics of how many people you need to speak to in any way or form that they come in, which translates into how many conversions down the road, right? Yeah. Well, ideally, your your before unit, your your lead generating is like a vending machine. Like Dean Jackson's my mentor, and, and he always explained it like this, is that most agents have 
you know, it's like a it's like a slot machine, right? They put the money, they go, oh, I hope this works, right? But, <laughs> but if you can find a vending machine where it's like, hey, I'm going to put a dollar in and I'm going to get whatever I get out of that. And ideally, it's five or ten times that dollar. Like, how cool would it be if you put a dollar in and got five or ten back? Reliably, that would be the key, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. But that's, that's a good, stable business. And they're out there. And people are doing that in real estate and also outside of real estate. Do you think it's getting a little bit uh, more complicated? And, and I'll give you an example. So um, the Dean Jackson system with f- sending out the postcards, that definitely uh, worked for you and has worked for several people out there, for sure. Uh, now, do you think that would work in um, a more rural setting or a more sophisticated, if you will, um, clientele? I think it could. I think there's people forget that the like the mailbox, it's almost like the mailbox is less cluttered now than it used to be. Right. And and I think that there's the physical proof you can do things with the postcard that you can't do with a sponsored Facebook ad or an email. Right. Like you can you can put that postcard on the fridge and it's you know what I mean? Versus an email just tends to sink down in the inbox or it gets deleted or just there's so much. I think there's definitely more flying at us and, and that'll continue, you know, as we move to the future. Um, but there's still a place for the physical mail. Even our past clients still get newsletters physically. Cause I believe that when there's a stamp on it, right? Like it shows that we cared about you, that we thought about you, you know, open it up. You can leave it in the bathroom. right? <laughs> so instead of on your phone, you go, Oh, there's the newsletter, right? Let me go check that out. And I find so, even in, in that respect with a physical newsletter, which I send as well, uh, I find even if it ends up in the garbage, which half the time it probably will go from the mailbox to the garbage, they'll see your face and it's just an, an extra reminder for you to be there. And every now and then they'll pick it up and read it. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that people move, what, every once, once every seven years or something like that on average. So if you make your real estate newsletter all about facts and figures and the market, most people don't care. So we try and have a you know, we have contests and we've got some fun things that we incorporate in that newsletter. Okay. Just because we know that people are, are probably not likely to move. Right. Exactly. There's also ways that you can get them to kind of be programmed to, okay. Like the next time you see a first time buyer, here's something you can share with them. So there's a, there's a way to orchestrate those referral moments as well. You see, you're reading my mind because that was the question I was going to ask you. How is it that you are orchestrating those moments? I'm sure you have a plan in place knowing you and how your mind works. <laughs> so yeah. what is it that you do? We've never, I mean, we have the structure with, you know, the, everything going out and we've got client parties and there's there's events that we do where we would like take the whole team and we'd say, okay, we're going to go to 500 people today. Like we're going to go drive around and deliver stuff to them. Um but I've never been the kind of person who calls every 90 days or every 120 days. It's just not something I ever sort of saw as a, a big opportunity or something I particularly enjoyed doing. I mean, some people swear by it. Right. Um, I'm more of that guy, like I'll, you know, be waiting for my, my buyers to show up and I'll just, Hey, I'm thinking of that person, like legitimately it's like, how are they doing? And I'll just send a note saying, Hey, what's up? You know, mm-hmm. uh, our our assistant now sends us an email and just says it's this person's birthday, it's that person's birthday, and so um, I, I, whenever I can, I just like to to kind of send them just something not not um, 
systematic, like just reading that and going, oh, I'm going to text or email or, or very rarely call them, but just say happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. Because like the baseline now is like, oh, someone just writes something on Facebook. And some of them are so lazy, they go like HBD, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, you did, <laughs> sorry, you couldn't type that out in full, that your day was so... But like, that's the... There's levels to it. Like, I think on my birthday, like, I, I might get, you know, 400 people. I'm not saying that to brag, but like, that's, you know, it's... And you try and acknowledge every one of those people too, right? But then I might have had... Uh, you know, how many, maybe t 10 people texted me. Right. And then it's like a couple emails and like my mom called. Right. Right. So, <laughs> right? Thanks, or, like, or, or maybe I got three or four cards in the mail, but like, if you look at that, that's kind of the ratio, right? So it's like, and, and I look at the people who sent me a card and I thought, wow, that's, that's like a hundred times more special to me than a Facebook message. Yes, because it takes that little bit of effort and it doesn't cost, you know, a whole bunch of money. Yeah, I still appreciate the Facebook message. I do. And it's like, wow, that person thought of me. It's still nice. But to put that card in the envelope, but I know they're sent out cards. I understand, right? Like, I understand how the world, world works. But like, even then, if somebody hand wrote a card versus something like a, like a font based thing through send out cards. Right. It's more. Yes, it's right. a big deal. And and I rarely share insights into my own business because I, I appreciate the uh, experience and expertise of those that I'm interviewing, but I'll share this little tidbit. So this year in my business, what I did was I decided to do that exact thing, whereas I, I did a short handwritten note for everybody's birthday um, that I've transacted with ever, just people in my, my sphere, and sent just a small uh, little gift card to Starbucks. Right. It's not a big expense. It's but, just have a coffee on me, have an ice cream, whatever it is. Right? Exactly. And that small yeah. thing, because like you said, how many people actually get real mail <laughs> in the mailbox? It's not a bill, right? And right. that's addressed to them. And it says, happy birthday. Was thinking of you. Hope you have a great day. And here's a free coffee or whatever it is. I think there's a big opportunity for mailbox excitement. Like I know, I know a mortgage uh, agent who sends out uh, this little package for his clients and it looks like a dynamite stick. Like it's actually a red. That sounds safe. like almost like a, <laughs> like a, like a, a paper towel roll. Like it was, it's that big. And, but that's exciting. It has a little string on the end. It's like you pull the string and, but that's fun. Right? Yeah, it's like, fun. It could go very badly depending on the person watching the right. mail that day. But yeah, no, that's exciting. <laughs> but it's, it's just a different experience than like an email. Right. Like there's Definitely. and I mean, email starting to become more engaging now with, you know, you could make things move around in the email, but or video email like... with bomb bomb where you send an actual message where you're speaking. There's a little bit more of a personal touch there than maybe a written message. For sure. I have a friend who got uh, an email from Tony Robbins, like an actual like legit. Tony didn't type the email. He actually recorded an audio file and attached it to the email. That's very cool. I'm sure they loved yeah. that, and they'll never stop talking about it. I still play it. He sent it to me. I play. It. I show people. <laughs> I say, "This is like this is Tony Robbins, right?" So it's, you know, it's just because, and you know, I, I mean, it's seven percent of it is the words you speak, and thirty-three percent is your intonation. Something like fifty or sixty percent is body language too, right? So it's just the video gives you more of a chance to allow those other, you know emotives to happen.
Right, exactly. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So uh, taking a few steps backwards in your, your first couple of years when you were starting out with Melissa in your new area, yes. um, what were the first few things that you blocked out as we have no sphere here, we have no real big budget? What did you do to get things off the ground? I don't even think either one of us had like some people have previous like business contacts and oh well, we're going to add 100 people we knew or like yeah, we don't have that, right? We got like a handful of friends that probably don't trust us at this point because we're new. Um, so it was all lead gen stuff. So we tried to look at what would we want. We really tried to kind of reverse engineer and we had one of Dean's programs getting listings was a big help for us. Um, but back then it was like the internet, there was nothing, right? Like it was like Google ads, no one's doing them, especially in this town of Milton that was 50,000 people. You know, and it's like the internet was a big opportunity for us back then, right? So it was the internet, it was the the postcard, but it was just trying to assemble as many people as we could. So that postcard went out, the first postcard was 730 people in this neighborhood, in an area that turned over at 17%, which means like wow. 130 of those people. I've never seen it before in my life, but it was, that's Milton. It was young people moving here. The homes were going up in value. It was just, it was like this stay for two years and then sell it kind of thing. And uh, so huge opportunity there. So we put the postcard in that neighborhood. I think we got 60 replies. So it's like now we got a database of 60 people, right? And then we, and we expanded a bit more. So we went, I think the next one was uh, 1,600 people, including the original 700 plus another 900. Got 100 responses there. So right away... We were and we were putting these packages together. Okay, here's your welcome package, you know. And it was just and it was on and on and on. So within six months, we had, uh, I think we had like 350 people on that list. Wow, that's fantastic. And it was right, and it was just like just sending things that were just that we, you know, that we thought would be helpful for them as sellers. And out of the first hundred people that did that, getting listings, we were number one. We were the first ones to get a listing and to sell it which started the a lot of the conversations with Dean but that was it it wasn't after you it was just pure like just trying to get you're either spending time or money right so we really just kind of invested that money in the postage and everything else stayed in touch and there's still people i've met five people this year that we attracted in that first year from the postcard wow that just reached out for the first time yeah, it's like great, or like I may have had conversations with them and it's like, okay, it's not the right time or whatever else, but the vines continue to bear fruit. Well, that's amazing. Later, if you communicate well with them. Definitely. So yeah. yes, that was definitely a different time back then uh, in terms of access to information for, for the consumer and, and onwards. And, and that turnover rate is unbelievable. I, I never heard of an area with that kind of turnover rate. So wow, that's yeah. amazing. But even the response rates was crazy. If you oh, look yeah. at like direct mail, like what's the, you know, the usual response rate is one or 2%, I think, right? Maybe three. And we were getting from 700 homes, 60, we were getting like 8%, you know, and then 1600 had a hundred. So yeah, it was just, it was like, it was, it was just, we, we really found that hungry crowd. I think that's the thing with marketing, right? If you can, like the example, Gary Halbert's a guy who does a lot of like he was he was a brilliant teacher of direct response marketing. He's no longer with us, but he said, you know, what's the most important thing to, you know, with with a product? People think, oh, you need to have the tastiest food or 
you know, whatever else you need to have this kind of unique angle. But he's uh, Gary said that the the most important thing to have is a hungry audience, right? Because it's like, so imagine this. So you're you're leaving the nightclub. It's two in the morning. You were dancing all night. You were playing guitar all night, right? <laughs> and having a great time. You get out of the nightclub. You're hungry. There's one hot dog vendor there. What do you think happens? Do they need the tastiest hot dogs, right? <laughs> do they need all the fancy toppings? I mean, their buns don't even need to be fresh because they've got a starving crowd that's like that's ready for what they have. So that to me is the most important part of any marketing initiative. So that's I agree 100% and the challenge is really to find that crowd and how do you find your crowd in particular, especially in this noisy market and world that we're in. I mean, everything is being thrown at us, never mind just real estate and real estate agents just about everywhere. So if you were dropped in a, a new town, I mean, what would you be looking for in terms of a, a hungry audience? Hungry for what exactly? I think the solution is probably, and, and it's funny because we're going through business planning right now. And I think a lot of the initiatives we've had has, especially over the last few years, has been to kind of go big, like to, to kind of treat the town of Milton is one audience. And it's like, I think the solution is to, 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 to narrow down, right? Like the McQueenie method kind of thing where it's like, I'm going to be a hero to seniors or I'm going to be the condo specialist or something like that. So I think that a lot of it is dominate one slice of the market. And usually what happens is you get business elsewhere, but it's like you strategically say this is the kind of uh you know property or person that's going to be my ideal audience as the americans like to say the riches are in the niches well it is it's like most of us try and be like i think the expression is mile wide and inch deep so it's like we try and kind of be the southern ontario specialist versus saying you know mile deep and an inch wide it's like we have everything for that specific investor, whatever it is, right? Whatever your crowd is. So you have to find, I, I think it might be worthwhile for people just starting out to really spend some time and think about uh, who it is that they want to attract in their business. And and that usually comes with a little bit of experience and working with different types of people along the way. You figure out, ah, that wasn't really for me. Maybe this one is. Yeah. I mean, ob the obvious choice is first time buyers, right? Because it's like they, they just need someone there who's going <laughs> to you know what I mean? Like they just want anything. Let's be honest. I mean, they just don't want the, they want to kind of feel like they're somewhat aware of what's going on, that they're a little educated. Um, yeah. I would say like at some point, every one of us was the worst possible choice. <laughs> to be in it. You know what I mean? Like your first client, you could argue that you were like the worst possible choice for them to make but it but being the lesson there is like sometimes just being there is enough right it's the right place right time and the and and like even just coming in with the right intention i think people would just say yeah sure chuck like i'll yeah i'll let you help me right <laughs> right exactly you know, like, and you, you gain that experience sure about that <laughs> i mean now i come from a different place you know selling probably more than a thousand homes it's like okay look i know what i'm doing like it's there's not much that'll you know, that I haven't seen, right? And, and when I you're coming it's... into the business, it's it's a great way and a great excuse to maybe latch on to someone's experience, you know, some sort of mentorship, find some mentorship and, and leverage off of that. 
Yeah, I mean, just to finish up what I was saying before is that I, I think that the um, the scary part about choosing a niche is that you think that that's going to sort of dis or it's going to eliminate the opportunity of everyone else. Right. But that's not what happens, right? Like in practice, it's like just because you point the target at something doesn't mean that this doesn't come. But what you'll find is what you move towards moves towards you kind of thing, right? Like that's the in life that's a that's a truism so it's the same thing with how you generate your business too right yeah definitely and it also it's like if you i find this too like nice people know other nice people right so if you start going this is the kind of client i want then you'll notice that starts coming to you but then all their friends tend to be the same as them right or or similar and and usually in a similar time in their life and so they're their yeah. circles or their cycles, their real estate buying cycles kind of match. First time buyers, no other first time buyers, right? It's just, that's the way it is. Definitely. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Now you had talked a lot about uh, push versus pull style marketing, right? And you're not yeah. never really been one of those guys that's doing cold calls or knocking on doors, right? But I understand that's a viable business model. Right? And I'm not putting any model down, but just in, in yeah. your particular For me experience. personally, it's, yeah, it's never, I came from that Gary Halbert direct response, learning from Dean, that kind of thing. It's that it's a different experience to have, I think, I, and I should probably get Dean on one of these calls because I keep talking about all the lessons I've learned. I just talked to him <laughs> this morning, but I mean, he's just, he's such a brilliant guy. But And you know what? Dean has a podcast as well. Let, let's promote that for him. Yeah, listing agent lifestyle. He's got um, more cheese, less whiskers. I love marketing. There's some brilliant stuff there. Uh, yeah, so shout out to Dean. I I like the example he used with getting listings, where he said, if you have a if you have a group of 500 people, imagine that as like homeowners, right? 500 homeowners. You have a choice about whether or not you could go to every one of those 500 homeowners and and like talk to them and give them a business card, or you could stand at the front of the room and then you'd get an envelope that said, these are the 15 people that are likely to move this year. Right. And I always thought about that. Like if I was going to, I just think like on the, on the quality scale, it's like you've got cold calls and you've got like kind of like that. You're just, they're just random like phone book kind of things. It's just, maybe they're moving, maybe they're not. The numbers right. on that I think are less than 1%. And on the other end, it's like a referral call, right? So you get a call from a past client saying, hey, my brother's looking to move. Like, you know that there's probably more than a 50% chance that something good's going to happen here, right? Right. And it's like here, there's just more rejection and, and just more time you need to spend to find one opportunity. And then within there, you've got people that you've been in touch with, communication and sign calls would probably be in the middle of that, you know, where it's like they're calling because they're probably more serious than than the general population open house visitors might be a little bit more i don't know if i'm mirroring and i'm going the right way but <laughs> right? okay. okay which but you know what i'm saying is it, within that scale there's there's like there's there's um if you could make if you could only make 100 phone calls a day if that was your capacity how do you want those phone calls to go right like what's if you're if you're kind of shooting fish in a barrel versus like fish in a lake, right? It's I'd rather go with the barrel thing. Yeah. And so let, let the funnels create like kind of select who's going to be the likely candidate that I should call. Yeah. And that, that makes perfect sense. You have the systems in place to just filter out all those 
weaker prospects, if you will, those unlikely to transact and those that aren't very serious, filtering it down to those that are actually serious. And those are the ones that you actually speak with. Yeah. And, and just, and when you show up, you show up with the intention of helping that you can't, you can't make them go any faster than what they want to go. That's a lesson <laughs> that I, a lot of agents, you, like it's, you know, like there's nothing you can do to coerce someone into something, right? It's right. You're like, not going to make somebody buy a house if they don't want to buy a house. That's right. Yeah. You can only meet them where they are in that, in that process. And, and one of the other things is there's a big crowd of people that can help someone who's willing to move in seven days. And a lot of our lead generation is like, if you're three to six months or even 12 months away from moving, we're going to keep the communication going. So it's like, we meet you more upstream. So that by the time you get to the place where you want to actually do something and transact, we've already built that relationship based on trust and information and all the things that we show up like. And that was the, that's the Milton daily homes. And that's some of the other stuff that, you know, we believe in, in like big lists of people who are looking to buy or sell. Like it's like give them what they want for the stage they're at. So let's put that out there for, for some of the people listening that really have no idea what we're talking about. So let's say you are doing some sort of lead generation, whether it be online or farming or, or anything, and you've got this funnel and you've got these people that are signed up to, to your email list. How is it that you take them from day one to let's say they're a year out from transacting. I mean, what, what would that, what would a good um, way of keeping in touch with them look like? Well, uh, Nicholas Kuzmich, uh, I had the pleasure of seeing him speak a couple of months ago and he talked about swimming lanes is that there's some people when they show up that they're in the fast lane, like they're like, they're ready to go now. Percentage wise, probably 10% of the people that you speak with are like more now. And then you have the medium swimming lane, right? And then you have the slow lane where these people are gathering information. They know they're going to move, but it's not tomorrow. Right. Right. And so I think you just need to build in programs and stuff for each one of those. So if you think about the slow, medium and fast people, how are you going? going to serve them the slow people need a different set of information they need a different process than the fast people so maybe have three tracks and and based on the initial communication from that you get from these people you can place them in whichever category they fit best and then have some sort of campaign for lack of a better word um, to follow up with them or plan to follow up with them over their time frame that best suits yeah, them. I think you start off with the assumption that they're now. So it's like you want to give the now people the opportunity to do something, right? So, for example, uh, you know, book a tour of homes, right? Or like, you know, if there's things that are more like immediate. And like an example of some of the things we do for the medium and, and, and slow lanes is that we would have like a buyer class where they could come, you know, about 10 times a year. We would run a class where they can just get the information, Right. So they've already been attracted into the system because they're a buyer. But now we just send an invite and say, are you free on this day? And you do right? that physically in person or over like a webinar? Uh, we still do it in person. I mean, we've we've thought about recording it, splitting it up into little pieces and videos and webinars. But for now, in person works. Um, I think we have the kind of office here that is impressive for, for people. So we, it is something where they come into our house and they really feel, we put a welcome sign up and we do things to make them feel like you belong here. 
I'm right? still waiting for my invitation, by the way. Just saying. <laughs> well, it's, I'll tell you. <laughs> time. Right. Uh, so uh, that's the the buyer class is a great idea. I know a lot of people, um, they've let go of that now. Not a lot of people are doing it, but I think it is a great missed opportunity that uh, you could take advantage of, especially if you're just starting out and want to make those connections. The NAR reports are great. I mean, they even say like the number one thing for buyers is that they don't need help searching for homes they need help choosing the right one you know like if you actually listen to what people are saying for listings what do they need they need to they, they, everyone wants to know the price they want to know what to do to get it ready right they want to know that they can sell within a time frame if you that's what the answers are they don't change year to year and so like you just need to kind of build in answers to those questions so Maybe it's booking a phone call. Phone calls are a little bit threatening, but could you have a report? Could you have something that like to meet them at the stage that they're at? So a phone call would be more appropriate for the fast people. They're just like, I really want to do this. Well, here you go. You can do this, right? The report might be better for the medium and slow people. And that's something that you would email or... Yeah, just have it out there, right? I mean, that's that's whether it's lead generation or lead conversion, you need to look at like what's the motive here? Like what would like lead generation is really just about saying, okay, so this person, the stranger who sees this Facebook ad or whatever else, Google uh, ad or postcard, they're looking at that saying, I want that information. So you got to get that first. You got to have enough value that they would go, oh, that seems good. And then they're going to decide, and we've all done this too. They decide, they go, I'm going to leave my name, phone number, email, and I don't know what will happen. So they, there's a there's a leap of faith there where it's like I could get harassed, I could get, you know, like there's and, – and they need to see enough benefit in the value that they're willing to trade their anonymous status. Right. That's all it is, right? And it's the same thing with the ongoing communication. So once they've raised their hand and said, okay, I, I want that, now there's a whole series of like, what do you do next, right? And that's the now, here's the later. Whatever, Whenever you're ready, this is here. Which is a lot more powerful than like, are you ready now? Yes. Right? Like, how about now, right? Which is, <laughs> now? that's most agents follow up, right? Like, okay, so when are you going to buy a home, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, I like to play to the higher emotions and sort of like the frontal lobe versus the lizard brain kind of stuff right it's just i like to kind of meet our clients in a place where it's like okay we're now coming from a place of mutual respect and benefit and support you're there to support them in their yeah, journey on their timeline yeah that's our values you know giving and relationships and that's as a team we've identified like what's important to us about you know what we do and what we deliver yeah i think uh with that kind of approach it can be a little bit frustrating when you're just starting because you want things to happen now. But if you're there for people and you're there on their timeline and kind of on their terms and helping them through the process, that will pay off. Absolutely, for sure. And it's and not to think of of like, you know, forms or leads that are like that come to you as like one because one by one by one, there's things that happen. But like, think of like a hundred leads at a time, right? Like, how can I, out of that group, there's some that are just not going to speak to me, right? Like, you're never, once they fill in that form, you're not going to get in touch with 100% of them. No. Right? It is, it, and it's the it's that numbers, right? It's like when you know your numbers, whether it's cold calling, open houses, door knocking, or... Uh, Facebook ads, online lead generation, there's there's a model to it. 
and there's proven systems and structures. So that's, that's the, I mean, I didn't reinvent the wheel on any of this stuff, right? Like if we've modeled behavior, that's, I mean, you gotta do that, right? It's just people have already figured out everything about this business. It's just, nobody's put it all together at once. The frustrating thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The frustrating thing for me when I was starting out, when I think back, um, knowing what I know now, and, and I've said this before is that everything works in this business. You've seen it. I've seen it. There are people that have built a business off of just about every possible way imaginable. That won't necessarily translate for you individually, though. I mean, you're not a cold caller, so that's not going to work for you. You're not going to build your business. You're going to burn out pretty quickly, and you probably would have left the industry a long time ago if that was the only way to do it, right? Maybe. For you, or maybe individually. It, maybe I found some enjoyment. It just it wasn't the path I took. Right, right. right. But just yeah. as an example, and I didn't mean you necessarily specifically, but the general you. So you have to find what's right. comfortable for you, what meshes with who you are and your inner core sort of beliefs and systems and what you can do. That's not to say that you're not going to get uncomfortable. But get comfortable with certain things that you're willing to do on a consistent basis, and that will lead you to success. So everything works in this business, and nothing works if you don't work it. (laughs) Find something that you will work consistently. That's right. So the freedom is the blessing and the curse, right? Is that you wake up and it's good. Like, I I worried about that. In in the beginnings of this business, I thought, what am I going to do to fill my time up? (laughs) It's like I look back and I go, now I've got a hundred projects. I learned this from Phil Soper. So what Royal Page does is they've got like a hundred opportunities of of like ideas. Because you go to conferences and there's just so much flying at you. So right. what they do is they just put the idea list out. And then he says within there, we choose the 10 that are the highest priority. And then we've got three that are kind of in deliverability stage where it's like we're working on these three. And we're not going to like we're not going to add a fourth or a fifth. That's like this is the the focus, right? And when you're too scattered, I mean, when when you're when you're young and fresh, even now, you get distracted. You get squirrel brain, right? Because this guy has one shiny new way of building business. You're like, wow, those are some amazing results. Let me check that out. Oh, let me check that out. Let me check that out. And you need to kind of block that out once you have your plan. Put it on the side. Focus on what you need to focus on, and maybe check that out on the next cycle. But even with our team members, like what this, what a planning session would look like with the team members, we would say, okay, great. So let's imagine three buckets that you want to to have as like your business building stuff, right? Like how do you, how are you going to get new clients? And there's stuff that happens from the team, sign calls and, and internet leads and all the rest of it. But for their own efforts, it would be like, okay, one is always past clients, right? Like what are you going to do? What's the strategy there? And the team has things to client parties and all the rest. But like, what is it? What does that look like? You're going to speak to them every 120 days. You get 100 people in your database. That's three calls a year. That's 300 calls. What's the average length of time per call? And you just say, okay, in a calendar, you're going to need, you know, 60 minutes a week. We're going to call it the hour of power. And that's your only job. You're going to set your clock and you're going to say, okay, I'm just going to call people for that hour. Right. And then door knocking is another one. Right. So it's like uh, my understanding about door knocking is like one every once in every, I think, six or seven doors, someone's going to answer. And a certain number of people out of those are going to be interested in what you have to offer. They'd be considered a lead. Right. So say another one in seven. So you need to knock on 50 doors to get like one lead. How long does it take to knock on 50 doors? An hour. So you get a lead an hour. Right. Like that's right. And then it's just 
how many leads is it going to take to to you know get a contract and a deal it's just math right like it's not and you just go in with the plan to say this is exactly how i'm going to orchestrate this i need you got to boil it down on the calendar to say i need 3 hours a week door knocking so that's really some great insight because that leads me to where I was going to ask you. If, let's say, you had a, a nephew or a niece somewhere else in North America and they wanted to get into real estate um, and you wanted to help them sort of set up a plan, a plan of action, right. uh, what would that look like? Essentially, like you said, sort of a top-down approach. Take that, whereas you want this ultimate result, work backwards from there. Um, what yeah. might an ideal daily schedule look like for somebody with three buckets? I, I would say that for most agents, they just need to be really clear that they're not employed unless they probably spend, most people are probably between about, you know, five to 10 hours a week that they should be devoting to like that focused work. And like I said, if you're calling past clients, that scale of quality is going to change versus 100 cold calls, right? Versus 100 calls to your database is going to, that's why relationships are so valuable. It's just, you can do more in less time, right? Because you don't have to blow past the barrier of trust and all that kind of stuff. It's already there, right? Or it should be, hopefully. hopefully. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's that's what I would say. If if you're probably more geared towards like new business, I would think like two hours a day. That's what it needs to be. If you're kind of working more on on higher likelihood opportunities, probably like an hour a day. But that's that's what you do, and then it's like the rest of the day. I usually start from a place of what is your, what's life about, right? So how many vacations a year, put those in, you know, your kids' basketball games, or for my kids, it was Taekwondo until the school shut down, uh, practicing guitar, whatever it is, <laughs> right? Like for us, we made a decision at the start of this year because we weren't spending a lot of, we weren't having meals together as a family. So we said every Friday, it's family night, right? So yeah, some of it's just like you figure it out as you go. And my schedule has changed over and over and over. But really, I think in addition to the lead conversion, if you want to call it that, uh, and your life, the rest is for the other stuff. It's for it's like where you can fit in your buyer showings and, and your listing appointments and all the rest of it. Right. But th those anchors of life, um, family, fun, and then like, business building like i have a thing in my calendar it says business building conversations and it's an hour and a half a day and that's what i do i just go okay who do i need to speak with right now okay very interesting that's a great approach now that can of course go in many different directions depending on sort of where you are where you're at in your business if you have more sweat equity than check equity <laughs> so yeah. you've got more time than money then uh use your time knock on doors make those calls do whatever you need to do to get it done right but well once... you, you try and load it up on the front end too like i said to the to a couple agents on the team they're like you know we're we're a little bit slower now so i said then double like like do your january hours now right <laughs> like it's just <laughs> But that's, I mean, we're, you know, second week in November. And I said, look, you should know your first 10 uh, clients for 2019 by the end of this year. Like you need to enter next year with that knowledge. Or Rather more. than waiting and starting and then you're off to a very slow start right. to even get that generated. Yeah, because what you see now is what you did 90 days ago, right? So it's like now's the time when you're starting to build 2019. If something good happens now, great. But it's 
probably a result of stuff you did back in like if if we're in November, probably in August, July right. and August is like if you were at the cottage, I'm not surprised if you're slow in November. Yeah, you've got that incubation right? period. If you're not that's working, then is. that's going to catch up with you, like you said, about 90 days in the future. But you just know that. You just like you just say, okay, that's how I'm going to plan my business. Right, right? definitely. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, I have a couple quick questions for you before we end. Um, do you, well, let, let me throw this out there. Do you remember how we met? Uh, it was at Rebar Camp, wasn't it? Like, no. Fi- like actual... Physically, yes. But how physical. we actually met for the first time was I basically cyber-stalked you <laughs> okay. as, as being somebody that I can hopefully reach out to and get some advice from when I was just starting and in panic mode. And you were gracious How's... enough to answer the phone. <laughs> okay. So we spoke on the phone before we met in person. I believe it was the phone. It may have been... Yeah, it was the phone. I think I reached out possibly on Facebook or, or through your website or email or something, but it got to the phone. So what went through your head? You're, you're reaching out. I guess somehow I... I crossed your radar as someone who maybe was doing something cool. Right. But what made you decide to just reach out? Because I think that's a thing that people go, oh, well, I can't call Sam McDaddy, right? Or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's right. Sam's, a, Sam's a, a big agent in Mississauga and kind of in world takeover mode or, or, you know, any of the big agents in the GTA, the Frank Leos and so on. But like what, like, because some people just kind of go, okay, like, how am I going to do this? Or they get afraid or like, what went through your mind? So my mindset at that time was truly panic mode because I was in a part of my life where I was expecting my second kid. Uh, I was just let go of a job and I came into real estate. Boom. Good luck. So right. in my direct office and surroundings, I didn't see anybody that was that open or, or frankly, even that on the level of success where I felt like I could learn from. So I wanted to reach outside of my market, hoping that people would be more open and willing to share uh, some ideas. I I heard that said is like, we're not cutting each other's lawn, right? Like we're far enough away that it, what what I give you or whatever we discuss is not, is and there's things that are still competition proof. Like there's, you know, I could give my, my next biggest competitor certain parts of my business. And it's like, it doesn't matter to me. Right. Like it does. And there's some parts that like, Hey, I'll kind of keep that a little closer, but I mean, you want your marketplace to kind of feel like there's like, you know, it's not like you're hiding, like, Oh, (laughs) I can't see this. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the truth is if somebody even took everything in my Google drive and the, the entire business, they're not going to, I'll be on to the next thing before they figure out how to to put it all together anyway. And even right? if that's the case, it's really structured towards you and your personality and the culture that you've built in your team. And it, it's not it's not the same if somebody else does it. It turns into, like the conversation that we had earlier, it kind of turns into something else anyway by the end of it because of right. who that person is and how they execute. Never mind that beyond all of that, if somebody's just starting out or in a different place in their business, to take all that is like trying to drink from a fire hose. I usually say there's a big difference between the GoBots and the Transformers, right? <laughs> so there's you talk about the 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 comic and sort right. of nerd. Okay, so so let's go back to that moment. So you you um, you were you were kind of you were in a stage where like I need to make this happen, which is what we were when we were in Milton, right? Right, and I was looking, looking for some for proof of success. Already- and yeah. uh, and went after some people that, that had that and reached out to you and a few other people. 
just hoping for some insight and advice as to is this worthwhile for me in my position? Should I should I do this? Should I do that? How should I get off the ground? Which was really the impetus of why I started this podcast to begin with. Years later, now that I have found some success, um, just to give back to the people that were in a similar place that I was in because that was that was frightening when I was just getting yeah. into the business it was frightening it was overwhelming and and you look left you look right everybody seems to succeed at different things but what was my thing I didn't know so I reached out to try to get some clarity and for the most part were those people receptive were they willing to help for the most part yes yeah I mean you know you're not going to get 100% of anything but I would say probably 80% of those people you reached out to even though they might have seemed like this sort of authority or like, oh, they're doing stuff. Most of them are just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Because I mean, we all started in a place where it's like we were like we've I, everyone started somewhere. Right. Like you don't definitely. just go to like 100 transactions like from like everyone starts at zero. We all have the same starting place. Right. Exactly. And, and like you yeah. said, most of the people are, are pretty down to earth in general in life. People are approachable. There are always going to be the ones that are not, and good for them. Do your own thing. I can move on to the next. Right. Yeah, I agree. And those people are probably the same people that just kind of figured things out on their own. I like to collaborate and kind of figure out. I don't like to, to reinvent that wheel. Okay, so, so what did we talk about? I let's, let's, <laughs> Eric, just to It's like my wife says, okay, what was our first date like? And I go, oh, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> All right, so from, from this conversation... Um, what is it that you can sort of summarize for, for summarize for the people out there that have been feeling overwhelmed and are having a rough start, not really sure what, where to go. We've talked about thinking of a top down approach overall. What is your goal? Break it down. Don't think about a million dollars. I like to think if you can cross your first hundred thousand dollars in this business, you're comfortable, you can take care of yourself and you can build from there. And it's a much more, um, realistic, if you will, uh, goal to, to sort of start at. How do you make your first $100,000 if that's what it is or 10 transactions or 20 transactions? Break it down to activities um, per per month, per week, per day and have an right. actionable plan that you can do every day, that you can follow every day to get to that place. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've started uh, about eight months ago. I started putting everything in my calendar, right? Like it doesn't matter if I goofed off or if I called this person, I would put every half hour, I would say, this is what I did. And so one day I may not be here anymore. And someone could look back and say, this is Chuck's life, right? <laughs> so it's like, I think that under really understanding where your time goes is a big thing. So it's like, it, now I record, I, I turned 41 and it's like, I got to lose some weight. So my fitness pal is the app on my phone where I record everything, everything you eat was in my mouth. <laughs> and it's like, and it's the same as the calendar. It's like, I'm going to put every place that I am. If I drove to a certain client, it took me half hour, put that in, you start to see where your time goes and how but that pays the, off when you look back. Yeah, And that's just Google calendar. And I just set recurring things that, you know, every morning between 10 30 and 12 is when I do my business building conversations Right. I've got the Milton Daily Homes emails that go out. I've got my my team meetings weekly. And so if you looked at my calendar like every week, it would have probably 15 to 20 hours accounted for. And the rest is just like it's designed to whether it's transactions, whatever my goal is, is it's like the spillover is going to happen in the gaps. Right. 
but my family knows every Friday we're going to have dinner together. Yeah, right? well, that's, you have those that... important moments blocked in first, right? It is, for sure. So I, I, when you're saying thematically, what was this this kind of conversation about? I think it's really just kind of finding the model, finding the, the person who's maybe... Like, you just need to know the numbers for door knocking, right? Like, or, or whatever it is. You just need to say, this is the business model. If you want to do 10 transactions, there's a process and there's there's a number on the front end that says, this is how many doors it's going to take to do 10 deals. And it's out there. That information is out there because people have done so, it. Yeah, anything. Like past clients, if you do the 33 touch through Keller Williams, then it's going to give you this much business for every 100 people in your past clients. And so there's... There's all these models. I mean, the Gary Keller's Red Book is obviously a, a big sort of thread throughout my career is that you could read it and then two years later read it, get something totally different from it. The Million but Dollar I, Agent that, is what it's called, right? Yeah, Millionaire Real Estate millionaire Agent. Millionaire Real Estate, and, uh, yeah. And, but like, I like the way he even addresses the stages, right? It's like, think a million first. <laughs> so even though you said like, you know, like aim for 100,000, you want to think about a million. So... Even that affects the way you name your business. Our business is named the Charlton Advantage. It's not the Chuck and Melissa team. And that was by design because like Dave Thomas doesn't serve you burgers at Wendy's, <laughs> right? But we right. wanted a business that was much more like the example we use often is like we're the blue men group. It doesn't matter which guy in blue face paint. It's like that's you're going to go and you're going to enjoy the show versus Siegfried and Roy. What happened to them? Like yeah, they Roy got mauled got by a tiger and then they were out of business. Right. There's like a hundred people that lost their job and everything else. And it's like with the blue men, it's like just, okay, if someone's sick, we'll just put another guy that's trained in blue face paint. But what the consumer wants is a good show. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right? definitely uh, several steps ahead when you're taking your business up to that team level. Yeah, but Where's you want to think about that early. You right. want to think about how, like, what if it is going to a million or plus, like, how would the structure be set up? That's why you start kind of building. I know a lot of agents that, like, they, they were really good at the sales part, and they're backfilling on systems and structure. It's like the, my business is, you know, doing almost a million dollars, but, like, I, I don't, like, it's chaos, right? <laughs> it's, so you go... Okay, like that, you know, it just means that you've just got to do things in a different way. And I always think it's hard to like hand the wheel over when you're driving on the Autobahn. Like you've, right. you're already blazing through and now you've got to try and like figure out, okay, this person's going to help me build this. That's the nice thing about we had some structure, but it was still using models. We didn't build that with Lou from scratch. It was just like, okay, by referral says to do it, let's do it, right? Fantastic. And I know yeah. coaching has been a big part of uh, your growth throughout the yeah. yeah throughout the years as well. So that's definitely something you would recommend to people if and when they can make it and, and afford it. It's a great investment. My first broker, Ralph Nardi, said to me, he goes, he goes, Chuck, look, when I first met you, I thought you were kind of dumb looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least he was being honest, I guess. I don't know. Most people that say that, they'd get clocked for saying that. But Ralph was just such a charming guy and love Ralph. But he said to me, he goes, but what you did is you just watched, right? You paid attention with everything. Like you kept that student curiosity and just figured out your lane and just kind of went for it and just, and were patient. And, and that's really the secret of, of what we did. You know, we tried to, to latch ourselves on to coaches that were really specialists around things. When we started growing our team, Kathleen Black, huge influence. Now we're tending to think of the business a little bit more like, 
like a CEO would. So Ken Goodfellow is the best in the world for that kind of coaching, right? So it's like we've we've tried to get people who like have already done it. Right. You know, by referral only. We knew we wanted a values-based referral-based business that also was was bringing in new opportunities as well because that's all we had. We didn't have a database. Right? It was like let we're moved to Milton. We don't know anyone. We're broke. Let's that sounds perfect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. All so right, so if this, if this dumb looking guy could do it, then you can too, right? That's the thing. That's the lesson there, I guess. Fantastic. Any uh, <laughs> any books or uh, audio systems for people to check out for some added value? I had to rewire myself when I was uh, when I got into the business. I had a family that was very into like okay, get like a regular paying job with benefits and all this stuff. So it's like I had to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Um, so there's so much information out there. Even like on YouTube, you could find out listing presentations and dialogues and all the rest of it. But uh, Think and Grow Rich for me was a big one. It was like that That was just like I've never spoken this language before of like achievement and entrepreneurial. And so that was a big one. Um, uh, the Red Book, obviously, Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Um, as far as marketing and psychology, which I'm a big fan of, there's a book by Robert Cialdini called Influence, and it talks about the six weapons of influence. And that's one of those books that it's helpful in your business, but it's also really helpful to just as a life skill to know that when you're watching an infomercial, you go, oh, that's social proof or that's authority, that's liking, that's all the different, like you start to see when somebody knocks on your door wanting to replace your hot water tank, you can <laughs> say, okay, I know, I know the three weapons he's using right now. Yeah. You so, definitely learn to recognize quote unquote sales tactics. You do, right? And it's like you can't hustle the hustler. Like once you understand the mechanics of how influence works, you're I think you're an empowered consumer and you're you're someone who's empowered, I think, to and it's always that like ethically, like how do you use those weapons, right? <laughs> like of as, course. A, <laughs> as a business, like how do you kind of, you know, um interact with the uh with your your consumers? Fantastic. But a great book great book influence that's actually one of the next ones on my list so yes i i say fantastic in advance of reading it but i've heard a lot of great things so far yeah love it all right and it's and it's just um people too right yes. like i mean i you know who's the master at what you're doing preferably out of your market area and just say i need to speak to that person and like we said you know a lot there. of people are pretty open especially if you're outside of your marketplace my first few years, I said, I need to make enough money to like, just survive, right? Like I just, like you said, like just what you do, whatever it takes You work as much as you can. You, if you need a side hustle, do it, get through the first couple of years because it, it gets better, right? Like you're doing all your articling and even family and friends are like, oh, this, I don't really trust that he knows what he's doing. And then at like, right. you know, five years, people start going, okay, it's not just a phase. This is his career. You know, so if you can get through those, learn as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can, ask questions. That's what it's about. You're always learning. And and I, I well, we always see each other. We run into each other in so many programs uh, every year, at least a few. But I think you need to, once you kind of have figured out the basics, I've really put myself on like a conference diet and an information <laughs> diet too. Because those hundred things that are there, it's like, I don't need 101. I don't need a new idea. 
because I know that there's things that just need to happen. So right. part of it is giving yourself permission to say, you know what, instead of two days at a conference, what if I locked myself in a room and like really got this off the ground? Yeah, you have to balance. Once th there's enough learning, 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 if you're doing that to put off action, that's a problem. But right. once you've got your action and your plan, just go and do it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time, Chuck. I really appreciate My it. Pleasure. My pleasure. All it was right. fun. Hi. Maybe we'll do it again. <laughs> Maybe we will. All right. Take care. Invitations in the mail. <laughs> okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I truly appreciate you for your support and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share this all over social media, and especially share it with a realtor that you know that might be having a difficult time finding their own path to success. I'll see you on the next episode.